Good morning. Thanks for being here this morning. It's, it's good to look out and see so many people that I know and love, and God's created space for me to walk with each of you in this season of life. And uh, for those of you that I don't know, I'm really honored that you're here and that God's given me a platform to speak about the overflow of his movement in my life and hopefully out. And that, isn't that what we're all called to, serving out of the overflow of who God is and what he's doing? I open with this, this quote that was written long ago that's part of a story I want to share. It says, treat everyone with great kindness because everyone is faced with a great battle. The world we live in is increasingly unpredictable. And the TVs that we watch and the news lines that we read perpetuate fear. Exponentially, we grow in fear. And the question is, how much can we take? And we live in this place where uncertainty ramps up anxiety. And anxiety, generally speaking, is the absence of guarantee. Even as believers, we can wrestle with anxiety. But we know that the foundation of God is unshakable. But things come into our minds, and life happens, and life presents things to us, and it's easy to get caught up in doubt, which is the shadow cast by faith. You can't have faith and doubt at the same time. I'm going to read the text. I'm going to open in pray, uh, prayer, and then I'm going to share a short story. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, I fully recognize that Anything in my life is an extension of your mercy, your grace, your permission. What do I have that hasn't been handed down from heaven, as Paul said? Everything is entrusted, each one of us. Our lives are created for your glory. Help us, Lord, myself especially, not to take ourselves too seriously but look on to the life of the other with the same compassion, the same love, the same selflessness that you willingly went to the cross on our behalf. So forgive me, Lord, where I come up short. And we just ask for your presence to stir in the hearts of each person in this room today during this short reflection of the goodness of God and your word, your truth, that transforms and conditions our hearts. And we thank you for this time and, and space to work out our faith and our salvation with deep reverence and honor. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Today, August 29th, is an important day, and I think the Lord would have me preach on this day for 
a couple of reasons. For one, in 2008, it was actually one of the worst days of my life, if not the worst day of my life. Um, my little brother grew up in the same house that I did, and we were each given the chance to recognize the evidence of a living God embodied in our parents. And because of selfishness and because of essentially allowing emotions to guide our behavior, I always tell students in my years of being a youth pastor, I always tell students, don't allow an emotion, a person, or a substance to tell you what to do. In other words, don't allow those things to determine what you're about and where you're going and why. In my early 20s and my teen years, I was caught up in addiction, and I was caught up in a selfish lifestyle where anger and sadness would inform my decisions, and a guardedness of the heart would prevent me from entering into authentic relationships. And I lived that way in total wreckage for a number of years, and God created a place, an intersection for me to get out of my own way. And thank the Lord, I went to a program called No Longer Bound. I was there nine months. It was the hardest nine months of my life. Every day I wanted to leave, but God taught me through relational ministry how to agree with grace and how to love the person in front of me. So seven years after I got out, right after I got out, the week I got out, God sends me a, a direct answer to prayer. You wanna talk about a God who answers prayer specifically? I prayed that God, if he would trust me to be married, that he would send me a wife. And I sent up a mail order bride request in that <laughs> I wanted a Native American wife, don't know why. Never, never dated one, never even really talked to one, probably. Jenny's Native American, Chippewa. God lives, he's real, he's evident in many ways, that being one of them, undeniable answer to prayer. Seven years, so Jenny and I got married a year and a half after my program. Seven years after walking out my faith, substance abuse set aside, chemical dependency set aside, um, my little brother uh, was living in such a way that his, his woundedness, his condition of his heart closed his heart off from receiving love. And if you can't receive love externally, then you can't embrace it on a personal level and you can't extend that. The overflow of God in your life, you can't extend it. So the question you might ask yourself is, what's blocking my heart if there's an absence of peace? There's a lack of love coming and going. So in my brother's life, I didn't preach to him. I didn't wreck him with an argument. I lived with him, and I lived in front of him, as did my wife. And on that day in 2008, I got a phone call and I heard my brother get run over by a car and killed right there on the phone. And I don't say that to be extreme, but I say that to set the foundation of what I'm trying to speak into your heart this morning. And by God's grace, he gave me that season to live for seven years as a re restored person, a regenerated person in Christ, um, as an invitation into my brother's life. Four months before he died, I had the opportunity to share essential scripture with him, Romans 10, 9, for example, that if you confess with your mouth 
Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Other salvation verses. And without question, I knew that my brother agreed with those things and he's eternally secure. Sadly, his life ended in such a way that he didn't have a chance to live out his salvation with deep reverence and, and victory to the, the living God be, be visible in his countenance. Um, but he is eternally secure, and I'm confident of that. It's called sanctification. Oswald Chambers said it this way. Sanctification is being possessed by the Holy Spirit for right thinking and right living. That takes time. Treat everyone with great kindness because everyone's faced with a great battle. August 29th today would have been my brother's 42nd birthday. He died when he was 28. Living for something bigger than ourselves, a created purpose. In this text, we, we see that we are commanded to rejoice in the Lord always. When I ask Dr. Youssef how he's doing, his answer indefinitely is, I'm rejoicing. I rejoice always. And that's a good answer. Because that true, he's not just give it, flipping a line out there. That's truly the condition of his heart and how he conducts his life and ministry. And if we do the same, God does his part coming behind his promise to deliver the things that he say he will, including the peace that transcends understanding. If we have peace, we have everything. So we're trying to make sense of a world that is growing more hostile and isolated. We're information junkies. We're consumers. We watch the news that keeps us tuned in to worry about the next storm or the next mass shooting or the next tragic event that's going to occur on the home front. For my young brother here, Steve, and I, that happened right in our neighborhood. As you have read in the news, that golf professional that was killed, it was Steve's boss and a good friend to me a half mile from my house. We live in an uncertain world. As I was trying to embrace the peace of God this morning, trying to get my heart settled enough to come stand in front of you and, and speak with confidence, I heard what sounded like a, a, a full clip out of a, out of a handgun emptied at 545 in the morning in my neighborhood in Kennesaw. So no, no one is beyond this, 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 this place where we're not, we're not guaranteed protection but we are guaranteed the peace of God in the face of turmoil and uncertainty and growing stress and all these things that essentially rock our world, our foundation where we fear most, I think, the loss of quality of life. But the question is, can we be happy wherever God puts us? And if the promise of God is true in Philippians 4, the transcendent peace of Christ can enter into our problem, our health condition, our finances, our relational, our unmet relational needs, drama in our lives, whatever it is, God's promises are true and they're worthwhile. Another question, how do we glorify God when dealing with conflict? We want mercy for ourselves and justice for others, right? We want to be forgiven and we want kind of things to kind of blow over when we offend someone. But we want to see someone else suffer and pay. That's what I call, you might have heard me talk about the cycle of shame. We throw people, our, our closest friendships and relationships into this cycle of shame 
where we say you're staying in there until I say you get out. It's kind of like paying restitution. We do that to ourselves too. We think if I beat myself up enough, I'll restore myself to the approval and favor of God. That's just not from the Lord. God is not a God of shame. He's a God of second chances. He's a God of mercy that enters into our pain and he stays there with us. The three lies that we believe, I'll proceed those with this. In 2 Timothy 2.15, which is essentially a missional call in our lives, an identity thing. And it says this, do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Do your, do your best to present yourself as a, an approved worker. 2 Timothy 2.15, if you want to go back and reference that later this week. The three lies that we believe that prevent us from embracing on a heart's level the, the, the identity of worker as approved, sent from God for his glory on mission. The three lies we believe, to name a few. I am what I do, I am what I have, and I am what people think about me. Since God created us in his image, in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, our purpose in life, our calling in life, can't be fulfilled apart from knowing him and living for his plan. The happiest, most productive person is those... Are, is, is he or she with clarity of purpose. When you understand that your purpose is a kingdom purpose, expanding the mission of God and living for his glory, there's a sense of belonging, there's a sense of contentment, and then it makes, supernaturally makes sense to have compassion on somebody who might be profoundly different than you. That's a heart condition. It was... One author put it this way, the paradox of contentment of the soul is this, when I die to myself, my soul comes alive. The paradox of the soul, how we think, how we feel, and how we act. The alignment of our will with the Father's will. And when we willingly become a bondservant, we make ourselves uh, subservient to the master, God does his part as we do our part, and he's not going to do our part for us. We can't sit around and wait on some profound delivery from things. we got to actually mobilize and, and do our part to see the plan take its course. We know that human achievement and material wealth doesn't deliver long term. Motivated, intrinsic, being intrinsically motivated and hardwired we ceaselessly crave for more. Addiction to anything is this, an ever-increasing desire for something that has an ever-decreasing ability to satisfy. So our desires go like wildfire, and we live to try to attempt to make ourselves happy. And we think, if I get that, or if I am this, or if he says I'm this, then I'm okay, and then I can, I, I can walk upright, and I can be confident. 
But the truth is, if you walk into a room and you're able to love everybody in that room, you're the most powerful person in the room. Nobody else is coming in like that. It's about being an extension of the kingdom of God for his glory and not your own. Not to prop yourself up with theological prowess and miss altogether the first and second greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If you know all the theology books and you miss that one, we invite you to come forward and lay your life down and I'm working on it myself. I ain't got it all figured out. But we're hardwired to serve ourselves and we're hardwired to try to make ourselves happy and to create an environment and a household and a job where happiness is the experience. But the joy of the Lord that transcends understanding is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing, there's no law. Jesus said, judge them by their fruit. So as you look onto someone's life and you see evidence of the fruit, you just can't argue it. You can't minimize it. I am what I do, leading with your business card versus understanding perhaps there's a missional calling for you in the platform that God has entrusted you. Not to say you can't hand out your business card, but don't lead with your title, lead with your heart. And then in that, you access someone else's heart. And then in that, you sow the kingdom seeds of God, the gospel of peace, that that might take root in fertile soil, but God determines the increase. Our part is simply showing up, ready to give an answer for the faith and hope that we have, but doing so with gentleness, grace, and respect. I am what other people think of me. This is big for high schoolers, teenagers, college people, but for all of us. Okay, if you have to have somebody's approval, you become their prisoner. If you live by the praises of man, you die by their criticism. Let that be a heart check. Do you live for the creator, the maker of heaven and earth that knows you by name, that has a room for you in heaven? As Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. My house has many rooms. There's one for you. If the name of Jesus Christ goes out from your mouth and there's belief in your heart that you want him to sit on the throne of your life, that's called laying your life down and being an empty vessel that the Lord might come and take up leadership and lordship in your life above an emotion, above a substance, above a person's opinion. I am what I have. Bill Davis, when he preached in here, Dr. Bill Davis from RTS uh, preached a couple of weeks ago, and he said, the more we have, the less content we will be. We can't buy ourselves happy. We can't make ourselves, we can't make someone else happy. Codependency is accepting somebody's responsibility for them or working harder on their life than they do. And when there's a wounded heart, an angry heart, the walls go up, and somebody sits there with an apathetic disposition and attitude, and there's an indication that there's a guarded heart there, there's a blocked heart. Well, through the context of relationship with a spirit-filled believer, the good news of Christ welcomes that person forward to come out of isolation and misery and despair 
the shame cycle and gives them a place to sit. Glorifying God while dealing with conflict, I said that we want mercy for ourselves and justice for others. Living from our identity and not towards it, 2 Corinthians 2.14, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of knowledge of him. We're led in a triumphal procession in Christ and he uses us to expand the kingdom of God, to populate heaven, to grow the hearts of others in the knowledge and wisdom of Christ that they might be fruit-bearing believers that are invitational, that don't have it all figured out, that don't live perfect lives, but hunger and thirst for righteousness and are experiencing a filling of God that goes beyond circumstances. That's what we're called to. The text itself, rejoice in the Lord always, I say it again, rejoice, despite the circumstances for which it was written, joy is all over the letter to the Philippians. Joy is all over the letter. If you go back and read it and you, and you think about the context of what is happening in that letter. Spurgeon said it this way, joy is the, uh, in the Lord is the cure for all discord. And he said that in the time and place when Catholics and Protestants were at each other with anger and resentment and uh, theological argument and doctrinal issues, Spurgeon said, joy in the Lord is the cure for all discord. So if the Spirit of God hands down the peace of God and the joy of the Lord, no circumstance, no situation, no person should be able to take that away from us. But the fruit of the Spirit does play out relationally. So we need our families. We need our, our church. We need our friends in order to experience the deepest form of happiness, the joy of the Lord. We can't do it independent of the world that God's put us in. We experience these kind of things when we are a, a people on mission, a people on pilgrimage, as the Bible says, that are sent on a mission of reconciliation. The greatest joy I have is looking out and seeing some, all of you, but some of the, the friends that God has used me to be a worker in their lives. I pray that you experience that joy yourself. Rejoice always, a true confidence that God is in control. God intends for us to be happy, calling us to such a command, to rejoice, a command Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The use of gentleness is being under control of the master. Here he describes the heart of a person who will let the Lord fight his battles. Such an indicator, especially for me, is a temple tend to run pretty hot tempered. <laughs> I'm a I'm a relational guy, but I can I can be an unguarded person and lose my mind a little bit and get in the flesh, and I regret that at times. Um, but a true indicator for me that there is a there is a a, a surrendered um, agenda, a surrendered heart, a surrendered will, is how I respond instead of react. And you've heard that before. Do you react or do you respond? 
A response can be an extension of your heart's condition. A reaction can be the same. So if there's a hostile, um, angry reaction that comes from you frequently, take that to the Lord and lay it in front of him and ask him to show you what is the root work of anger, rage, hostility. Anger, like a drug, feels good. Makes you feel like you're in control and like you, you matter in this world and you actually have some influence. The problem is, just like uh, uh, substance abuse, it creates collateral damage. And sometimes that collateral damage is really hard to put back in place and restore. So we have to consider our attitudes and our actions and what we're doing to further the interests of God. And if we're not, and we take time and space to create um, a, a, a place to hear from God, we can see that we're either about him or we're about ourselves. And we see pretty clearly who sits on the throne of our lives. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Under the master's control, the heart of a person who will let the Lord fight his battles. It describes a person who's really free to let go of his anxieties and stress knowing God will take up his cause. We show this kind of love to all people, not just to those we like. It's easy to be around people we like. It's hard to be fully present with somebody we don't find worth our time. But you know that God's at work in your life if you are fully present with the person that he's put in front of you. And when you do that, you become a true worker of gospel, a restoration, restoring a person to the Father's will, restoring a person to hope, hope being the joyful anticipation of good. Hope can go beyond whatever life presents. Living with the anticipation of Christ's return, we can find peace that he will make all things right. We live beneath the heaven that God created, heaven and earth, and he created us to be here, to bring him glory, to be on mission for his purposes. Yet we tend to entertain our own interests above all else. And once we're kind of dialed into our own resolutions and goals and uh, uh, primary, what we determine to be primary, we realize that we're just really not that content. And our best effort at life leaves a big void in the heart. That can be relational. That can be spiritual. That can be emotional. That can be uh, by way of God's calling on your life. Whatever it is, let that be another challenge for you to consider what is blocking my heart Am I creating the space for the Lord to call down his assignment for me today? And do I have the confidence and the selflessness to walk it out and walk it out in freedom, regardless of what people have to say about it? Don't be anxious about anything. Anxiety, the absence of guarantee. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. All areas of our lives are of God's concern. Everything we should pray about and for. The supplication of God, uh, supplication is asking God to do something. Letting your requests be made known. With thanksgiving, we can overcome anxiety. Pray about everything and be thankful for the, all things that God gives, even if it's suffering, knowing that the Lord is in control 
and he will not forsake you, and he is with you right where you are in your time of need, in your fear, in your worry. God's transcendent peace can enter in and stay right with us. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace from God is the sovereignty of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, him over me. Peace with God is found by entering into a relationship through the finished work of Christ. You make peace with God where you confess Jesus as Lord. The peace of God, his shalom, his unruffled serenity of the infinitely happy God, as Charles Spurgeon put it. This peace of God is beyond our ability to understand and can't be explained. It has to be experienced. So I can tell you about it all day long, but until you experience the peace of God by embodying your convictions, being well-studied in the word, handling the word of truth with excellence, and seeing the word as an essential lifeline for your heart to be reconciled and to be freed up and to be nurtured, then you begin to understand who God says you are and who he says the other is and gives you reason to walk into their life with compassion. It has to be experienced. It can't just be a concept. The peace that we find in Christ guards our heart, our thinking, shapes our hearts and lives. Where there's an absence of peace, there's an unguarded heart. And I say this in closing. Will you set your mind on things above? Will you set your heart before the Lord? And will you put your feet on mission? God bless you guys. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are, in fact, a God of second chances. And thank you that it's never too late to call on your name and be called a child of God. We thank you for a spirit of adoption, to be brought into eternity and find eternal security in Christ alone. And we pray that you would stir this week our hearts even deeper and that the soil of our hearts would be receptive to truth that comes in, that it be truth that goes out. So bless each person here and let your Holy Spirit reign your kingdom power and glory above all else, especially ourselves. So thank you for your peace, Lord. Let it go with us. In Jesus' name, amen.